Good morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody here. We got through our little cold spell, didn't we? That was, uh, with the type of winter we've been having, that was quite a, quite a shock, those couple of days of, uh, of coldness. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and um, many of you uh, can relate. The TV was much different than it is nowadays, right? Just talk about the TVs themselves. I mean, it was all a grown man could do to lift a 20-inch TV, those big tube TVs, without throwing out his back, right? You know, you had to really bend in the legs. You know, often you see two, maybe three people trying to carry a TV. Versus nowadays, we got these slim uh, flat-screen TVs. And, you, know, I, I, you know, I think a single man can easily grab a 70-inch TV under his, under his arm and, you know, away he goes. You know, there's, there's such a difference in that technology. And if you remember... The original TVs, there was no such thing as a remote control, was there? Right? You actually had to get off the couch or get out of your chair or get up off the floor. You had to go to the TV and change the station. And that might have been only a selection of three or four stations, depending on uh, what your antenna would pick up. You know, we lived in, in rural Ontario growing up. You know, we were uh, out on the farm. Now, fortunately, we were up on a hill. We had one of those... Uh, TV antenna towers on the side of the farmhouse. And then if anybody remembers, we actually had a, a, a I think you call it a rotary dial that connected to it and you would turn it, you know, more to the east or more to the north to try and uh, dial in certain uh, certain station that you wanted to watch. And kind of depending on the cloud cover, you may get it, you may not get it, you know, and, you know, everybody's upset because you're trying to watch a certain show and you know, it's kind of fuzzy, and you're, you're trying to adjust those things, right? <laughs> yeah, I am that old, Ken, but thank you. Uh, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I, I mean, and remember when they actually came out with TVs with a remote control? Remember what it was called? The clicker, right? You had the on-off button. You had an up button. And you had a down button, and it clicked. Like, it was click, 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 right? So if anybody's ever heard their parents refer to grab me the clicker in reference to the remote, it used to actually click. Now, we also lived along a, a highway stretch, and I guess those clickers worked on some type of same signal as CB radios, because when truckers went by and they were talking, all of a sudden our channel, uh, like the, the TV channel would change. Uh, it, it was quite interesting the first few times that happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, now, but now we have remotes, right? They've got multiple buttons. You know, sometimes people got three, four remotes, depending on all the systems they have. And I've even got a remote at home. I can press a button and I can talk to it. I can give it voice command now, right? Uh, and, 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 and search and, and, and change things. So it's very interesting how all that's changed. And growing up, I mean, a young boy in the 70s, 80s, I love the A-team. 
the A-team was a great show. Like they blew stuff up like nobody else blew stuff up, right? They crashed things. Dukes of Hazard, racing cars, you know, those loud, you know, mo- um, you know, monstrous cars, you know, just racing around. That was, that was, that was a great show. And then MacGyver. I love MacGyver. Right? Give him some duct tape and a couple, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, batteries and some, uh, you know, clothes pegs or something. I mean, he could create, he could fix any problem. It was, it was, it was just amazing. But you know what drove me nuts? Was that you're getting deep into a show and you're deep into the plot line and then it's to be continued. It was like, are you serious? Like, this only comes on once a week. i got to wait till next week. And then what if, I, what if I can't watch next week? When do I get to see it? i, I got to wait till the summer for reruns and, and hopefully have the timing right to catch the, you know, the ending of the show. That drove me absolutely nuts. But arguably, uh, probably my most favorite show of old was the original Law & Order. I don't know if anybody else watched the Law and Order, likes Law and Order. Um, now with my Fire Stick, I got a 24/7 channel of, of of Law and Order. But Law and Order was a whodunit show, right? It was, it was the good guys and the bad guys, and it would start for the first half of the show, right? And it would follow the detectives and, and the you know the crime that's happened, and then it would switch to the court system, right? The the prosecutors. The, the defenders, um, and part of the whole thing was that investigation, the who did it, why did they do it, are they following the right leads, right? And it comes down to people asking questions, right? Meeting with people and asking the question because what the court system, what the lawyers what the detectives wanted to do, they wanted to find the truth. And in order to do that, they had to meet with the victim. They had to meet with witnesses. They had to meet with, you know, family members and friends and people who knew them. And when they met with them, they asked them questions to try and narrow down so they could find out the truth Find out, is this person guilty or is this person innocent? And sometimes, you know, they just had to build a case and then they had to go to the court and let the judge or let the jury gather all the evidence and make that decision. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, it is good to gather in your house. Thank you for gathering us here in person and online this morning, Lord. Lord, would your Holy Spirit just guide and direct us this morning. We have sung worship, worship songs to you, songs of praise to your great and glorious name because you and you alone are worthy of that praise. And Lord, as we open your word this morning, as we look at the life of, of Jesus and Nicodemus, would you speak to each one of us individually? Teach us from your word this morning, Lord. That is why we're here. May we just listen to you and what you have to say to us this morning. Bless our time, we ask. Amen.
so Daniel uh, said, um, we're continuing the Misfits series, and we're going to talk about Nicodemus. And we heard part of the Nicodemus story. Thank you, Linda, for reading that in, in John chapter 3, and we're going to dive into that. But if you remember, if you were here Christmas Eve or if you watched it online, I spoke the message on Christmas Eve, and we were in Matthew 2. And we looked at Jesus being born in Bethlehem and the Magi coming, and the Magi coming to Jerusalem and coming to King Herod and going, where is he? Where's the king of the Jews? We, we, we saw the star. And King Herod's like, I don't know. Well... The chief priests and, and the teachers of the law, they should know. So he called them in and, you know, they opened up, you know, the book of Micah and said, Bethlehem. That's what the prophecy says. Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And the Magi, these non-Jewish people, as far as you know, they were excited. And away they went off to Bethlehem to find the king of the Jews. But we have no indication that the Pharisees, that the religious leaders were excited about the possibility of this prophecy of old coming true. We, we have no indication of that from Matthew. And I said it then and I say it that that's still weird to me. Why weren't the religious leaders who were supposed to be anxiously awaiting the arrival of the king of the Jews, why weren't they excited? Why didn't they go with the Magi? Why didn't they you know, run ahead of them, you know? It's just kind of weird. But if we hit that fast forward button and you want to open up the, your, your Bibles to John, the book of John, chapter 3, we fast forward 30 years in Jesus' life when we get to John 3. And if you're familiar with the four Gospels, all right, that talk about the, the birth, the life, and the, and the death, and the resurrection of, of Jesus then you would see and be familiar with the common pattern that the Pharisees, the Herodians, the teachers of the, of the law, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, they did not like Jesus. They did not like Jesus of Nazareth at all. And the question is, is, is why? With what he was doing, it should seem that it was following in line with the prophecy of the king of the Jews. It should, but I don't think they liked them, like Jesus, because he stood up to them. He spoke and he got crowds larger than they ever dreamed of. He was healing people the way they never dreamed of trying to, to heal people. I'm not even sure they were worried about healing people. They were worried about hurting people in the right direction, not helping and healing people. And because the religious leaders were the people with the power, but Jesus was growing in popularity, they saw him as a threat, not as an ally. Because, I mean, when you're in power, when you're, you know, the boss, when you have, you know, control of things, the average person doesn't just give that up easily, you know, especially to some young punk 
who's come out of nowhere, right? Come out of Nazareth. You know, Nazareth wasn't, you know, anything special. Um, and they saw Jesus more as a rebel. And that guy, at some point, with all that he's doing, all that, the trouble he's raising, the way he's talking to us, that Jesus is Nazareth. He's going to get what's coming to him. Sooner or later, he's going to get what he deserves. That was their attitude. And we're talking about the religious leaders as a whole, right? That was kind of the general attitude that they had. But if you look at John 3, verse 1, we read, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. Interesting. Now we got a Pharisee breaking away from the crowd and coming for a one-on-one meeting with Jesus, but at night. So why at night? Well, we don't know for sure, but it would seem that this meeting, that Nicodemus wanted to keep it on the QT. He wanted to keep it on the down low, right? He wouldn't want a lot of attention, so he came at night to Jesus so he could talk to him one-on-one. The things that Jesus had done, the things that Jesus had said, the things that maybe he had observed from a distance, maybe the stories he had heard from people, Nicodemus, it made Nicodemus curious. So curious that he wanted to meet with Jesus. He had questions. He needed to talk to this man because it seems maybe what Jesus had done actually was impressive to him. And he wanted to find out what was it about this man named Jesus. He had questions and he wanted the truth of who Jesus was. And so he met with him. And Linda read it for us in in verses 3 through 15 we have a classic, you know, this classic encounter between Nicodemus and Jesus, if you're familiar with the book of John at all, saying, you need to be born again if you want to enter the kingdom of God. And what he probably didn't realize was that Jesus was the king of the Jews. And so Jesus, if he's the king, would know the way into the kingdom. And the Magi... Well, they kind of opened that can of worms early on. But I think the, the Pharisees and religious leaders, I think maybe over time they kind of forgot about that because from Jesus' birth to his testimony was 30 years. And I think a lot of that was forgotten about. And it's, you know, I mean, Jesus emphasizes in verse 10, he goes, Nicodemus, you are Israel's teacher. Now I'm teaching you. You're supposed to be teaching the people, but I'm teaching you because you don't know the truth. But you've come to me, and now I'm teaching you. 
and sharing you the truth with you. And it's an interesting back and forth as Nicodemus is trying to figure out what does he mean being born again, entering, you know, like Nicodemus seemed to be focused on the physical side of things and Jesus was talking spiritual and as a teacher of Israel, he should have been more focused on the spiritual side of things, but he was having trouble figuring out Jesus' words back and forth. But they seem to be very impactful words. And we didn't read it, but you know, um, the story you know, that John records ends in verse 15, and then you know, John, who wrote the book, you know, he continues on in verses 16, 17, and 18 and tells the reader tells us how much God loves people and what the purpose of Jesus coming to this earth was all about. It was for salvation, the forgiveness of sins. It's right there and it's so plain. But then, that's it. We, John moves on to talking about John the Baptist. Like, what happened to Nicodemus? I mean, I mean it's, it's like a to be continued, right? I mean, some people would say Nicodemus, the reason he came in, in the dark was he came to ask questions and he was actually supposed to be like a, like a spy. He was supposed to go and get some dirt on Jesus and bring it back to the Pharisees. Others say, no, he really had some personal questions and, and, and he went on a personal note. And so, if that's, did he finally understand what Jesus said? Did he believe and understand? And did he become born again as a result of that conversation? Or did Nicodemus just ride off into the sunset? Right? Like a good Western movie. Well, to be continued means there's more. So, John chapter 7 if you want to go there with me. So, the start of John chapter 7, we, we read about Jesus heading to the festival of, of tabernacles. And the fe- festival of the ta- yeah, try that again. The festival of the tabernacles was a celebration. It was a week-long celebration for the Jewish people remembering their 40 years in the desert and how God had delivered had delivered them. And so this festival is going on, and right off the bat, we, uh, we read about some, uh, some brotherly bantering between Jesus and his brothers. His brothers weren't believers in who Jesus was at this point, and you know, people knew that the Pharisees were upset with Jesus, and uh, there's some bantering going on, and Jesus ends up saying, no, brothers, you go ahead. I'm not going. I'm going to stay behind. Jesus does go. He just delays going. And when he does go, he kind of stays, uh, as I said before, he stays kind of on the down low, the, the QT initially when he goes, goes to the festival. But then it's time for him to start speaking. And he starts speaking out in the open. He starts teaching. And there's Thousands of people there for the festival. And he's drawing crowds of numerous people listening to him. And it stirs up the crowds. Because people are saying, who is this guy? 
He's talking and teaching like nobody's ever talked and taught to us before. And some people are saying, well, you know, maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe, you know, he's someone that we should follow instead of the Pharisees. I mean, the conversations could have gone so many different directions, but it had stirred up the crowd. And they were wondering, who is this Jesus? And there's talk. And this is getting the religious leaders upset because he's gaining popularity and they're losing popularity. And these Jewish leaders, they're not happy at all with Jesus. And so, they're going to deal with him, right? And so, if you go all the way to verse 32, we read that the Pharisees, they, said, they, took, they called the temple guards and they say, go get that Jesus, arrest him and bring him to us. Verse 45, the temple guards show up, but they don't have Jesus with them. And it, it's, it's interesting, verse 45, it says, finally the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? In verse 46, we get the response. No one ever spoke the way this man does, the, the guards declared. How happy do you think the Pharisees were to hear those words? Well, verse 47 You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Well, if they weren't upset before, now they're really upset because they gave those temple guards a job to do. Go get Jesus, bring him in, arrest him. And they come back and they go, oh, we didn't arrest him because, have you heard him? Like, he talks like nobody we've ever heard. How do we arrest the guy? Like, you know, we, we don't see why he should be arrested. And... They didn't do what they were told to do by their bosses. These Pharisees are getting madder by the moment. Verse 48, the Pharisees, they say, has any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. They've ref- they just referred to their fellow Israelites, the people that they're supposed to be shepherding and watching, as a mob who know nothing. There's some hard issues with these Pharisees, with these religious leaders, and it's coming out. They're getting mad. A mob? They know nothing? They're cursed. They're talking about thousands of people. They're fellow Jewish people. And then verse 50. Nicodemus is back. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? So the Pharisees are gathered. They're in a council The temple guards just came back empty-handed. We heard how they're describing the people. And then Nicodemus has some boldness here. I don't know. We don't know how old Nicodemus was. Whether he was, you know, an older, wiser man. Whether he was young and, and full of spunk. 
But he just challenged the whole council. And more, more so, the, the, the most lead guys. And he says, doesn't our law, he just asked him a question. Our own law. You, you say the people know nothing of our law, but now you're wanting to do something that doesn't follow our law. Our law says that we need to hear somebody out. Well, how well do you think that went over? Verse 32, they, whoever was speaking on behalf of the Pharisees, are you from Galilee too? What does that mean, are you from Galilee too? Basically, they're saying, are you a follower of Jesus too? Peter got the same question when he was at Jesus' crucifixion, the third time he denied knowing Christ, the same thing was said to him, aren't you from Galilee? So if you're from Galilee, you must be a follower of Jesus. And now they've got, you know, the leaders are saying the same type of expression to Nicodemus here. Are you from Galilee? And then they continued on. Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. They're so mad, they're saying anything and everything, and they're not even speaking the truth. Jonah came out of Galilee. He was a prophet. Nahum, Elijah, also from Galilee, they were prophets. These Pharisees are so upset, they don't even know what they're saying. But maybe they didn't mean the prophets of old. Maybe they were referring to the Messiah. That's that's another possibility of interpreting what they said there. But even if that's what they're meaning, if they had stopped and talked to Jesus the way Nicodemus had just told them, well, then they would have found out the truth. They could have found out that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They could have found out his ancestry and found out that his ancestors were in the line of David, just like the prophecies of old. They could have found out the truth if they had been willing to meet with Jesus the way Nicodemus did and ask questions. And then chapter 7 ends, chapter 8, then we're on to Jesus and Manoel. I've got more questions about Nicodemus. I mean, now what? I mean, did Nicodemus stay a Pharisee? Did he say, I'm done with these guys? And, you know, become a follower of Jesus? We don't really know. We're left, we're just left hanging again, right? Well, there's more to the Nicodemus story. Chapter 19 of John, we'll find Nicodemus again. And, it, it, and I've said it before, it's interesting that when Jesus was born, it was the Magi, non-Jewish people, that had recognized the sign and looked for that king of the Jews. And if you read Jesus' death, who calls him king of the Jews again at his death? Pilate, another Gentile. 
It's not the Jewish people calling him. It's the non-Jewish people calling him. The Jewish leaders had no interest in Jesus at his birth. They seemed to totally detest him throughout most of his life that he was in the public eye. And the Jewish leaders are the one who ultimately sentenced him to death and had him crucified. A real story of irony happening here. John 19, verse 38. Jesus, the earlier verses in 19, Jesus is crucified, Jesus has died, and we pick it up here in verse 38. And it says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. The Jewish, talking about the Jews, referring to the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders were the people of power. And so you, you can't really blame Joseph for being a secret follower because they had so much power. I, I mean, they had Jesus crucified without even going through the proper you know, court channels and, and all that. That's how much power. They had enough power to have someone killed unjustifiably. And so you can't really blame Joseph. And there were probably others. I'm sure Joseph wasn't alone. But secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came, he took the body of Jesus away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. Nicodemus is back. The man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. So, here we go. Now we're at Jesus' death, and we've got Joseph and Nicodemus again. Two men, they've taken Jesus' body down off the cross. Nicodemus didn't just come to help. He brought the embalming aloes and spices, 75 pounds. And if my research is correct, it was typical for anywhere between 50 to 75 pounds of spices for embalming. He brought the maximum. And this wouldn't be cheap. It was a sacrifice. Nicodemus first came to Jesus in the dark of night one-on-one, all secret. Then Nicodemus stood up for Jesus amongst his peers in the, in the meeting. And I don't know if he, you know, how big of a misfit he became then, but if he wasn't ostracized, if he didn't leave on his own, own, own will from the Pharisees then, Now, at Jesus' death, he comes in the light of day out in public. Jesus' cross, where he hung, would have been right by a public road for everybody to see and everybody to understand that Rome was in control. And this is what happens when you mess with Rome, is you die a criminal's awful 
death and be in public for everybody to see. And here you have Joseph, who was a disciple in secret, no more. Nicodemus was probably also in secret, no more secret. And now, if not before, he is definitely a misfit amongst his peers because he sought the truth of who Jesus was and accepted that truth. We need to be willing to ask questions. You ask questions, you get answers, and you hopefully, by asking those questions, getting those answers, you find the truth. The Pharisees weren't willing to ask questions because they thought they knew it all. They had memorized Scripture. They had been brought up, most of them since they were young, and they memorized Scripture. They thought that they were the top. They thought that they knew it all. They weren't willing to learn more. They thought they were at the peak, and they weren't willing to learn. They didn't want to know more truth. Their hearts were hard. It's interesting if you search in your Bible app the word truth, the word truth appears in the book of John 23 times. That's more than double of any other book in the Bible. And number two in line is actually the book of First John. It appears 10, 10 times. If you want to search out and read about the truth, the book of John's a great spot to go. The story of Nicodemus, as we've looked, is a great story. It, yeah, you've got to search through and, and find the continues, the continues. But the life of a man who was willing to ask questions, who wanted to find the truth and found the truth because he sought it and he asked questions. And I know that this world is controlled by the internet, how would we ever live without the internet and all this different social media nowadays? But it's information overload. And arguably, for those seeking the truth, it is harder than ever before. It doesn't really necessarily matter the topic, but especially when it comes to who Jesus is, it can be really, really hard searching the internet with everybody's thoughts, everybody's opinions, depending on the Google search that you use or the search engine you use, what comes up. But you gotta be like an old-fashioned gold miner. You gotta have your pan and you've gotta sift that pan because there's a lot of stones and sand and garbage to sift through to find those gold nuggets of truth, to find out what this life is all about. To f- decide, is God real? Is God not real? Is Jesus God's son? Is Jesus the way to be born again, to live eternally with God in heaven? So I encourage you, first of all, desire to seek the truth. Even if you, you know what? Even if you are a believer, maybe you accepted Jesus as your Savior as, as a young kid. Never stop seeking the truth. 
And it, the internet is full of all kinds of stuff. You can always come back to your Bible. Your Bible is full of God's worth and the absolute truth. There is no doubt. Ask questions. Ask inquisitive questions. Ask those hard questions and seek out those answers so you know beyond the shadow of a doubt what you believe. Now, I'll really date back here, and this is a little bit before my time. You remember the show Dragnet? Remember Joe Friday, the lead detective? Right? Sure you do, Ken. Right? Joe Friday. What did, what did Joe Friday often say? All we want is the facts, ma'am. All we want is the facts. Or in the movie that came out in 1987, it was changed to just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Same thing. Let me leave you with one verse from the book of Psalms. So if you want to write it down, just remember what I tell you. I think this is a great verse to, to highlight and re- go back to many times. I hope it's your prayer, and I hope that I continue to reread this, and it's my prayer over the years. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 25, verse 5, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. I'll read that one more time. Psalm 25, verse 5. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior. My hope is in you all day long. Thank you. Daniel.